You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Good morning and uh, welcome to Coffee and Clergy. We're back once again uh, in this series we're calling From Generation to Generation, where we're having conversations uh, with with Christians here at King of Kings from various generations, and we're talking about that sort of that interplay or those intergenerational uh, relationships that we have at the church, since we are a church for uh, all people, all nations, all generations throughout all time. So uh, I have a special guest with me today. Hi, Elaine. How are you? Hi. Good morning. So we have Elaine Sherman here with us today. Uh, we're really looking forward to hearing from her, and I've got some questions lined up for her, and she's diligently, I see from her notes, <laughs> put together some thoughts for us, and so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So thanks for being here. Me too. Before we begin, begin perhaps we should start with a prayer. Does that sound good? Me so too. let's go before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and we praise your holy name simply for this day, for the opportunity to put to use all the gifts, the skills, the abilities, and the time that you have given us, that we might honor you and serve your holy name. I thank you for Elaine, who's here with us today, that she would uh, share her, her testimony, her story of her, her life and her faith with us so that we can, um, we can hear uh, about someone who's perhaps got some different uh, background and some different experiences than some of us. I thank you for her faith as she uh, lives it out each and every day amongst us, that we might see uh, what it is to walk as a child of God in all of the years of our life. I pray that you would guide all those who are joining us today, whether they are joining us uh, right now live or they're joining us later on uh, on the podcast or via video. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move uh, with them as they uh, continue to uh, draw closer to you as you continue to call them uh, to repentance and to belief in Jesus Christ. And so we pray this all in his name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Before uh, I hop into questions with Elaine, just a, a quick uh, sort of refresher on what we talked about last time. So we brought up the idea last time of our our mission as the church and how each aspect of our mission has some generational aspect at play where we expect uh, that members of King of Kings uh, from ages 0 to 109 would be able to uh, participate in some unique way in connecting and growing and sharing so that we might share the heart of the king with others. Um, so we talked about the importance of that intergenerational relation and how it's at the core and at the heart of, of who we are as the church. Then we moved into this idea of uh, ways of defining generations where we talked about generations are not simply based on the year you were born, but it's more about uh, sort of kinship and the feeling of, of of relating to someone who's been through similar experiences. Age is a factor. Um, social events that occurred during certain points of life, and generally the the worldview that people in a generation hold. Then we talked about Strauss-Howe generational theory, 
and how there are four basic archetypes um, for how uh, generations sort of are at work in society at large. And I, I always want to remind people, anytime we're talking about uh, generations theory or we're talking about the way that generations are perceived, we as Christians always kind of take that with a grain of rice. You know, we want to make sure not to over-identify with a, with a theory or over-generalize people into just a category um, because we know that people are different. But um, we do see trends in society with just open eyes and honest um, analysis of what we see around us that some of these archetypes are at play. Um, so the first one was the, the prophet or idealist archetype. The next one is the reactive or nomad archetype. The third one is the civic or hero archetype. And the fourth one is an adaptive or artist archetype. So we talked about the generations that are currently in our church right now. And we talked about how there are still a few people from the greatest generation that are with us, but most of them are not uh, not able to, to sit down and, and do a, a podcast format. Mm -hmm. So we'll, I'm actually going to have a conversation next week on behalf of the baby boomers with uh, Pastor Al Erdman. And so he's going to mm -hmm. share his views as a baby boomer, but he also, as our visitation pastor, spends a lot of time with those people of the greatest generation that are still left with us. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing his perspective on, on sort of their um, interaction in the church and their walk of faith and um, share some stories there. So uh, next generation is the silent generation, which is people who were born from 1927 to 1945. Um, they are an adaptive generation, and that's who we have with us today, someone, <laughs> a representative of the silent generation. Um, and so we, we will talk a little bit more in depth about what that generation is all about later. Uh, but then we'll go on to the next one, baby boom generation. Uh, that's people who were born between 1946 and 64, and they are an idealist generation. Then we have the Generation X, which are a reactive generation. They were born between 1965 and 1980. And so uh, they are a, a reactive generation, meaning they reacted to the institutionalized ideal of their predecessors. Then there's the millennial generation. That's the generation I'm part of. And they were people born from 1981 to 1998. And they are what's known as a civic generation. Um, and then there's Generation Z, which are the uh, people between about the age of three and about 20 now. So... Um, these are people who were born from around 1999, so I guess that would technically be people who were even up to 22 or 23, um, all the way to 2019, um, and they are an adaptive generation. So this to me is interesting that the, the adaptive generation of, of young kids that are, that are growing mm -hmm. into adulthood now are in some ways uh, looking to the generation that, that you come from and seeing the, the sort of societal niche that, that the silent generation um, has played in society and saying that they want to take up the mantle of being the adaptive generation. So to me, that's an interesting legacy, perhaps, for some of our elder members to think about, is that this, this younger generation, these Generation Z, are, are truly people who um, are learning 
from some of our from our elders. So, anyways, um, that's sort of the overview uh, from last week and a reminder of what this generation model is. Um, so, moving forward from there, let's get right into our discussion, Elaine. <laughs> so, um, welcome once more. Thank Thanks. you for being here with us today. Um, my first question, uh, I guess, or, or topic of conversation, is based on sort of the idea that we brought up about silent generation as an adaptive generation, um, one that had to sort of figure out how to adapt the ideals of a previous generation. Who, When you think of in, in terms of history, um, you have the generation preceding you were the generation um, the greatest generation, right? That, right. that met the crisis of the World War, <laughs> that came out of the Depression, you know, with strong, you know, uh, with, a, with a strong industry, a strong culture, a strong, um, in a lot of ways, a very strong uh, sort of religious and faith uh, central uh, kind of philosophy, if you will. And your generation was one that kind of adapted it to normal life, so that it wasn't purely an ideal, but it was um, you, you carried forward the, the your generation kind of carried forward those those ideals in an adapted way. So, I guess in, in at large, when you think about how people perceive your generation, what kind of misconceptions do you think people have about the silent generation? So when people talk about people who were born during your, your time and have, have gone through the things you've, got, you've gone through, what misconceptions do they typically have? Uh, perhaps they think we're too traditional, mm -hmm. um, too stuck in the muds, so to speak, um, not flexible mm -hmm. enough. Um, I don't know. I just, for myself, I felt very comfortable that I was in this generation because mm -hmm. I could be the poster child for it. <laughs> I I am that adaptive person, okay. whatever the circumstances are. Um, realistically, I simply adjust and move on. Yep. And that was pretty much what my parents modeled as well. Okay. So I don't know how much of that is parent uh, influence mm -hmm. and how much is generational it just is um okay so so sort of my next question is to tell me about yourself tell me about your childhood tell me about your parents that kind of thing what it was like growing up as a silent generation person well i'm not sure exactly why we're named the silent <laughs> generation because i didn't think we were we were very active. Now, my parents were more silent mm. about things, but um, as far as my generation, I felt we saw a need and filled it. Mm -hmm. um, from from early childhood on, um, and of course, I was born in 1931, so the, the effects of the Great Depression were certainly there. My father didn't lose his job. Mm -hmm. But they lost property they had invested in because they could no longer pay on it. Um, but they they didn't really complain. Now, mother certainly um, 
expressed a um, concept that we were poor, mm. but we were never at want. We were yeah. always able to help the trash pickers who mm. came by, the door knockers that needed help. We were always able to do that. So I felt poor in the area of not having the same clothes that other kids had at school. But as, as far as poor, I didn't really feel that we were as poor as a lot of other people were. Yeah. Um, she, both my parents were always active in helping others. And so uh, their tradition at, uh, was with LCMS, very strong tradition. My father's father was a, a Lutheran pastor who had come over for, from Germany uh, as a result of uh, the Lutheran church advertising that they needed pastors over here. So he came over. Um, my mother was the daughter of a elder in her church. Um, now, both of these grandparents of mine, or both sets, spoke no English except the one grandma, my father's um, mother, who was not first generation over. Um, and that was a challenge for us, but we, as kids, my brother and I learned to adapt to that. Uh, my grandparent, one set of grandparents lived with us for three years before they died. They spoke no, no English. We learned to understand German mm -hmm. and speak what we needed to in German to communicate with them. Do you, um, speak, do you speak some German even today? Not really. I mean, do you no, know I can understand it, okay, okay. but uh, I can't. Uh, you know, there's no opportunity to practice okay. for me. I know, like, I'm, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I feel like I should know a little more German, but I know, like, Guten Morgen. That's yeah. all I know. <laughs> That's a start. I don't even, like, I know in Spanish to say, you know, where is the bathroom? But I don't uh -oh. know how to say that in German. So. <laughs> the important things. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I can remember as a child really joining the war effort. Mm -hmm. That was such a primary influence, yeah. World War Two, And... Um, and so we, I hated the things like practicing getting under our desks um, or practicing for an air raid and, or a blackout, um, that kind of thing. But I loved participating in things like making squares, knitting squares for blankets for the guys that had gotten hurt in service. Mm. Um, or collecting cookies for the USO, yeah. or you know, there were so many ways. Um, uh, the the um, twenty five cent stamp that we bought to build a, a bond. Oh, okay. uh, but like, for instance, uh, uh, rationing really impacted us because my mother and dad had decided mom would be a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. So, but she had to earn something to help out. Daddy was a landscaper, yeah. so he didn't have a big income, but he managed to work an eight-hour job and then have his own landscaping business on the side. So, mm -hmm. 
they were very entrepreneurial. Yeah. So um, <coughs> that's one of the things I think that I find an interesting connection between <coughs> your generation and this current uh, generation of Gen mm. Z that's growing up is um, my generation never knew for want in general, never had to ration anything mm. or, mm-hmm. or you know, you know, worry about the world at large around us and things mm-hmm. that were going on like that. But your generation, you had a war, you had to rap. Think of, of others in need to some degree larger than other generations. Mm-hmm. And I think this current generation, Z with COVID right now, they know what it is to some degree to to ration in some ways. I mean, there's shortages of certain things. Things are with this inflation that's currently going on. There's some families that are getting hit by that and they can't get certain items that they want or need um and so and and i feel like um you know i don't know what it's like i don't think anyone really knows what it's like uh to do school from home for a whole Mm -hmm. year right but i can sort of see that that is causing similar lasting memories or perhaps even lasting scars in the same way as having to practice getting under your desk for an air raid or or things like that there to me seem to be some some connections perhaps that Mm. that your two generations are are novelly the only ones who really understand that level of of well and and all of us now have had to adapt to the restrictions of the masks or whatever Mm -hmm. um getting the vaccine or not getting it yeah and that's another thing with with there's a lot of restriction on life now uh for, for young children mm-hmm. that hasn't been quite that way since you guys were children. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really pretty interesting. So. Yeah. So did you know anyone who fought in the war, like from your family? I did. Um, so my mother took in boarders okay. to make money. Mm-hmm. And the one boarder went into service, and unfortunately for us, he was – one of those who occupied Auschwitz mm, okay. took pictures and sent them to us. Wow. Which were just traumatizing. Yeah, I imagine. Um, my husband was in the war. Mm-hmm. Didn't know him back then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and and my cousins were in the war, and I remember the stars that there were flags with two stars on it. If they were killed, the stars would turn from navy to gold. Oh, okay. So our prayers were, don't let the stars turn to gold, gold. Huh. Uh, for our cousins who were involved. So there was a lot of personal involvement. You felt like you were in the war. Yeah. Even if you weren't on the ground, boots right. on the ground, your life was I mean, impacted by it. Yeah. In a way, it was marvelous because we had a country of building loyalty to our country and we took ownership i mean a lot of the moms worked in factories and stuff but my parents made another not a different decision about that Mm -hmm. and um you know there was a a sense of teamwork we were all together in this and um so you know there were a lot of things that pulled us together uh, a lot of adaptation type things yeah that uh for instance every saturday night my mom and i walked up to the local food market and bought all the markdown produce Mm. that we could fit in our wagon and in our arms to carry home 
because Sunday was uh, after church and lunch was canning day. Mm-hmm. And for four to five boarders that were always there with one bathroom, mind you, <laughs> we managed. We had to can a thousand quarts a year. Yeah, I, I can just imagine for someone my generation younger having no idea what that means, canning food. So essentially, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but what you do is you put it into a glass drawer uh-huh. With a metal lid, and then you boil it in the lid, right, so that it kills yeah, off any bacteria so that that's it in there. seals, yeah, and it seals, and then mm-hmm. you so can store that on the shelf virtually mm-hmm. indefinitely. Right? Yeah. So we mm-hmm. don't have to can items yeah. of produce ourselves anymore. Hopefully, we never will have to yeah. again. But, yeah. Um, that's really pretty interesting. Yeah. And you did that every about every week. every Saturday yeah. night. We went up there because that's when they had the things put on sale because they weren't going to be open on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So they had to clear out everything. And um, so that was just a ritual. And you, I can remember my parents saying, "Work is fun," because we'd say. Something like, uh, let's go have some fun. Mm-hmm. They bred us to think work was fun. And so I still today think in terms of my job or whatever I'm doing mm-hmm. as fun. But I don't know how to have play type of fun. Okay. My next question was going to be, what kinds of things did you enjoy as a child? But it sounds like you enjoyed rolling up your sleeve and getting to work. Well, I learned that part, but I did enjoy um, singing. I was in a lot of groups singing. We um, one boarder roommate of mine. I never had a room of my own growing up, (laughs) you know. Um, But anyway, we would go to uh, the barracks and sing at the worship service Mm -hmm. on uh, Sunday evening or whatever evening they ask us to come. So um, she would play the piano and sing alto, and I'd sing soprano. Um, I loved uh, going out and playing after dark with the kids in the neighborhood. That just was particularly fun, even though we played the same games during the day sometimes. <laughs> but um, uh, doing artwork was fun for me. Yeah. The sad part was that this grandfather, who was a pastor, Somehow, all of his kids, including my dad, were absolutely sure that there was coming another artist in the family who was as good as Grandpa. (laughs) And when I showed an interest in art, the pressure was really heavy for me to become that artist. I, I liked doing art, but I didn't. Didn't want to do it for a living, Mm -hmm. and yet I was too adaptive. See, this where where adaptivity can be detrimental. Mm -hmm. I got my degree in college Mm -hmm. in commercial art. Oh, okay. I used it very little. I did some freelancing after I graduated, but that's not where my heart was, Mm -hmm. and nobody seemed to care. It was this vision I was fulfilling. Yeah. And this, to me, is why, and I, I don't think your story is u- is tremendously unique, especially in your generation. I think the reason why the moniker, the silent generation, has come about is because of how strong 
the identity was of the generation preceding you and directly after you. You had the generation, the greatest generation right before you. How can you speak yeah. against the greatest generation, right? And then you have the baby boomers that overwhelmed the silent generation in numbers threefold, mm -hmm. you know? And they were so very vocal, both of those were, that I believe even though your generation had a lot to contribute and a lot to say and a lot to, mm -hmm. and had to adapt in, a, in yeah. a powerful way to a new way of living, just from a sheer perspective of, of numbers and volume, he kind of got drowned out really? a little bit. That's interesting, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, because um, I can identify very much with just being silent mm -hmm. and going ahead and going along yeah. with um, my parents' um, dreams mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but I enjoyed anything like that. Singing and art were my main loves. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so anyway, that's uh, probably pretty much my my childhood, I know I felt very controlled by my dad mm -hmm. and my mother, but more my dad. Um, and, you know, I kind of think of them as the silent, <laughs> silent ones because they, they didn't communicate yeah. much. And, uh, and yet they, they took us at their side when mama canned or, or, uh, you know, my dad took my brother to his work, and they landscaped and stuff. Um, but that was that was our relationship with them. There, there wasn't um, there there was emphasis on um, the Christian perspective in every circumstance. So we learned to do that. Um, but I don't believe that I really got a personal relationship with God um, until I was an adult, okay. um, kind of out there on my own and realizing I was missing something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm so grateful for my traditional LCMS upbringing because it has stood me in... in um, in th and through some really tough incidences. Mm -hmm. so. so, yeah, so I was going to bring the discussion to that, but you kind of introduced it naturally. But um, your walk of faith, you said uh, you've, you've been a Christian pretty much mm -hmm. your whole life. You were baptized as an infant, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Right? So, so, yeah, and you have that sort of tradition and lineage back to your, your pastor grandfather, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, whom I never knew. He never died knew, before. That legacy yeah. is, mm -hmm. is residual within the, the family line. So you've been a Lutheran your whole life, but we, you know, you, you kind of talk about how you never really um, had a relationship with God. Well, I feel like that's a pretty natural progression of the Christian life of, and walk of faith as we mature. The in, when we're when we're kids, it's Jesus loves me, the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. When we get a little older, we start to ask questions and we we put our faith to the test mm -hmm. and then we also develop that that relationship uh to god as a personal being not just as kind of a mm -hmm. uh, you know the the dominant figure within our worldview he's actually a person that we want to get to know and we want to know what he wants from mm -hmm. us so to me that's a 
I think that's a perfectly natural progression. That's not an unusual way to think of it, is that we, we come to grow in a relationship with God as we mature. Yeah, I think um, when, I, when I envisioned the big difference for me was when I was a kid, Jesus was my Savior. Yeah. But as I progressed in sanctification, he became my Lord. Mm. Lord of my life is entirely separate mm -hmm. from Savior yep. in my mind. And that's what the big difference was. Now, I think my parents demonstrated that he was Lord of their life, mm -hmm. but they never talked about it like yeah. that. Yeah. And so I never had that concept uh, before. But I can see many ways in which he led me um, over those years with uh, confrontations and wisdom from others mm. and from his word uh, to dig deeper. And that's been so meaningful to me. Um, so, you know, the, I, I felt guilty for a long time not following through on the art talent that he did give me because um, when my dad felt led to begin a Lutheran church in Richmond Heights, Missouri in the late 30s. And in 1942, that church was dedicated. And I was, what I, I was 11 at that time. But I was doing a lot of artwork for that church. I mean, a big poster thing for the Christmas, like a Christmas scene over the altar at Christmas. And um, then when they built an actual church, they asked me to do the Luther seal mm -hmm. for over the altar. And then when my parents died young, they asked me to design the, um, the memorial window for them, which was Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And Most I of this is as a teenager, correct? You're yeah, teenager? I did this. Yeah. So That's take that as a note for teenagers. You, you can be uh, a really powerful, effective you know, servant for the church yeah. in a lot of ways, yeah. creatively um, speaking. Yeah, and a, a lot of that was encouragement from my parents mm -hmm. who said, you can do it when I had never done a that kind of thing, but um, I was convinced I could do it, and that's part of my generation's yeah. characteristic, yeah. too, is that we are going to do whatever our assignment is, and I still have that today. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, God just has led me in marvelous ways, some of them extremely painful we went through um uh, the loss of our dream house but i think that turned out really good mm -hmm. um due to an illness of jack's and um the fact that we lost it i mourned that loss for about 10 years i think yeah. but uh he showed me that it had become my god and he was not going to have that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, praise his name that that he ca called me to account. What the, stage of life was that? Was that when you were at Let's see, that was uh, 
uh, let's see, we moved in in 1965 or 6, and uh, moved out, well, six, so that would have made me 31, 41, 51, 61, mid to late 30s. Yeah. I was in Jack was early 40s. Okay. Um, but we had two little kids at the time, and we lost everything. It wasn't just the house. It was just everything. Yeah. And started over. And when you start over, when, when others in your generation are at their peak earning power, and Jack was capable of only earning a dollar an hour painting garages, it was a little bit tight. But, you know, we, we made it through, and I think the generations from which we came helped make that possible. Yeah, definitely. Was the with the characteristics. I mean, think, think about had you not grown up at all with any kind of uh, mentality of uh, rationing or, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of residual uh, sort of dust bowl or uh, – depression mentality it would have been very difficult to adapt not, not maybe not yeah. for your adaptive generation but it would have been difficult to go from a certain style and standard of living exactly to, to, to a tight you know yeah. tight pursed uh, mm -hmm. way of living but you had developed those skills in your youth and although you wouldn't want to live that way you were well equipped to do so yeah yeah, that's, that's true. You find out that you don't really need all the things, and now I wish I didn't have them because they <laughs> built up again. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you got to have a lot of garage sales to get back. To yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, question here I wanted to not skip over is, um, other than your parents, which you've mentioned, um, what people have most influenced your faith? I remember my Sunday school teachers. Mm. And my grade, I went to Christian grade school. That was one of the things, no matter how poor we were, my parents insisted we kids go to Christian grade school. We did not have Lutheran High at that time until my brother was able to go there. Mm -hmm. They always managed that. So their priorities were really on target yeah. as far as my looking back. Um, currently, radio preachers. And I really have this wonderful relationship with God now where he guides me, uses different people, different um, messages or reading material or whatever. It's like I told you before, I feel like getting into this characteristics of the various generations is an answer to prayer because I'm going to be moving into an apartment on the property of my grandchildren who in turn have two great-grandchildren, eight and 12. And I was feeling so at a loss how to communicate with them because they are really different than me. I mean, they're, um, what, the millennials and the Generation Z. And learning about those generational differences has helped me already yeah. understand that um, it's okay to be different. Mm -hmm. It's okay that, that <laughs> in my opinion, they just are spendthrifts, you know, compared to <laughs> how tight we had to, to make things in, in my generation. Mm -hmm. 
but that's where they're at, and, and I'm glad that this material is out there that I can continue to research it yeah. uh, because I really do want to leave a Christian legacy yeah. to um, these two generations oh. that I care so much about. No, I think uh, that's really what this is all about, is trying to figure out uh, that intergenerational relationship. That, mm-hmm. that um, There's always some strain on it because we have different backgrounds and priorities, perhaps. But, but yeah, we're all still people. We still ha- all have the basic needs of, you know, the metaphysical or the, sorry, purely physical needs. And then we have the... The, the higher needs too of like associating socially with other people and being valued and being seen as you know having people being people with our own sense of agency and mm-hmm. stuff like that so understanding these other generations your, yeah. your gen- the millennial and gen z generation for you and frankly for them understanding your background and where you come from will help um i think facilitate good conversations mm-hmm. and especially about faith so yeah all right, so that's good. Um, what uh, what was church like, and how was it uh, different when you were younger? <laughs> Very liturgical. Mm-hmm. It was page five, no matter what service you went the to. The old Lutheran hymnal, right? <laughs> the page hymnal. Uh, but the church was the center of our life. Yeah. And if there was a, a thing going on at church, it took priority over anything else mm-hmm. that um, that was going on. And so uh, Walther League was my social life. Okay. I loved it. Our church was so close to the SEM, we had all these handsome SEM students coming to, to our church. Can, can you explain what Walther League is? I, don't, Walther, I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. Walther League is like our KOKY, our okay. youth group. But uh, you had Junior Walther League, which took you through high school, and then you had Senior Walther League, to which all the SEM students came. And we would do all kinds of social things, bowling, going on picnics, all these kind of... That's that's named after C.F.W. Walther, who was the first president Uh of the LCMS, just for people who are wondering where that comes from. And so, you know, um, that was where I primarily dated mm-hmm. um, that was my source more than even my high school um, I went to public high school um, and I had a command for my father that I could only date Lutheran boys <laughs> so that made it a little tough because yeah. we were over at the hill and there were mm. a lot of Catholic boys yeah but very few Lutheran a lot boys. of Tonys right <laughs> So, um, but, you know, then then from there, we went into couples club, and Jack and I were married, and that became very important to us, and, and I visited our pastor, former pastor at Luther Memorial when he was in the nursing home near me, and he said, that couples club was just magic he said i don't know really what the answer was is but he said i've never been able to duplicate it uh there was something about us being bonded yeah all of those couples and to 
this day, now most of them are dead now, but to this day, those who are alive keep in contact. So it's just one of those wonderful things that God gives us sometimes as a group that just stays together. And whether that's generational, because the same thing happened with our Lutheran fraternity, Mm -hmm. Gamma Delta at Wash U. Mm -hmm. Um, It stays to this day. We've got, I think, four left Mm -hmm. out of, I guess, maybe 40 that started with it when Jack was at Wash U and then me. Okay. So, so you, that's sort of the ways in which things are different. But what in what ways is the church the same? Same message. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's the key because when we came out here, we shopped every denomination of church, and I was appalled at some of the sermons mm-hmm. because they did not carry that message. Uh, so I value that. Um, that we stay Bible-based in our preaching and teaching. Um, I go to the blended service Mm -hmm. that we do, and I love the blended liturgy and and, um, songs. Mm -hmm. To me, they just touch my heart. Um, And this, I think, was God preparing me because down in Sheridan, Arkansas, there are Baptists mm-hmm. and Methodists yep. and non-denominationals. Yep. I grew up in Arkansas. I don't know if you know that, but I grew up in Fort Smith, Arkansas. About yeah, you told me that. But there are no Lutheran churches. <laughs> so I suggested to my granddaughter that she and I could start one like Grandpa did. She said she couldn't take any more on her plate. <laughs> But we'll see what the Lord has planned. I'll tell you one thing about Arkansas Lutherans is if they're Arkansas Lutherans, they're Lutherans because it's not it's not a, there's not many cultural Lutherans down there. So if you are in the Lutheran Church in Arkansas, you you truly have a, a really Lutheran perspective on things. So yeah. traditional. Well, it's traditional. Um, it's you know Ephesians two, saved by grace through faith stuff. It's uh, really um, kind of knowing your position as a Lutheran because otherwise if you didn't have those distinctions you'd just be Baptist and non-denominational and Methodist like like everybody else because it's easier that way. Well we visited a Lutheran church up in Benton Yep. and uh, that pastor is still page five mm-hmm. and um, that's an hour away from where we live. We don't want the kids. Mm-hmm. That's a long way. Uh, yeah to and so uh, we'll have to see how God works that out uh, yeah. because right now they have switched from the Methodist church, which went too far left, to a non-denominational, which is very Bible-based, mm-hmm. but they don't have any liturgy at all in their service. And I just went to one service, so I shouldn't judge based on that, but the mm-hmm. the pastor is very Bible-based. Okay. All right, um, let's move on to the next one, number five that I got on the page there. So um, give me some thoughts that you have about, uh, when I say younger generations, I mean, you know, other other generations uh, that, that are in our church, not just the, the very youngest ones, but do you have any perspectives on how um, younger generations um, came into adulthood uh, as you were 
uh, older generation and you saw baby boomers grow up and as you saw gen generation X people uh, grow up and now as you've seen my millennial generation grow up, what are some thoughts that you mm -hmm. had about the way the culture changed because of those things, the way the church uh, has has kind of been impacted by that and things like that? Well, I, I believe that the younger and younger and younger generations are going to be much more challenged than I was hmm. um, getting out in the world, so to speak. Okay. Um, they, they have not experienced the church as the focal point of their life, most of them. That's true. And, you know, it's their high school or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think having that firm foundation um, in the word and and with their church, I love the way our church has expanded its its programs for parents. Mm -hmm. um, I like the way, at, at least to my knowledge, it's still going on where the parents come to confirmation mm -hmm. class with the children. Yes, it is really like that. Um, but the thing, the involvement of the youth, I think is is in the church activities is just extremely important. They need to be feel, uh, to feel uh, valued. And, um, you know, I have several um, of the children that I prayed for at the time they were going through confirmation. They keep checking back in with me every yeah. time they see me or they invite me to various functions. Mm. And so we've maintained that connection, not so much by my effort. I mean, I pray for them still from time to time as adults, mm -hmm. but that they would connect back with me, I yeah. think is very gratifying. Well, great, yeah. yeah. So um, what trends do you see um, in society that you think are, are wonderful? And what things do you see that are perhaps not so wonderful that you wish we would pay more attention to and try to correct? Well, you know, um, my brother lives here, as do his two children. Those children have children, and those grandchildren of his mm -hmm. are now college age. Mm -hmm. What I'm seeing with that family is that they had Lutheran High available. Those kids went from grade school through high school mm -hmm. at Lutheran High. Then when they went off to college, one of the most important things was where's the closest LCMS church. Mm -hmm. And the parents, as they went and visited, really the kids made the decision that this is the church we're going to, and it has uh, a youth group or a young adult group or something. And they connected immediately. There, that was almost an, as important, I think, as their registering, uh, registering for college. Mm -hmm. So, that trend, if that is a trend amongst Christian homes, I am really positive about. Good. Yeah, I, I see that amongst uh, that that trend intensifying amongst families who have done a good job of being intentional with keeping their kids in the church all throughout their yeah. their younger yeah. days. I see it as a an overall downward trend. I think for the very most part most families who are kind of culturally Christian or, you know, as we call it sort of tongue in cheek in the mm -hmm. in the 
pastoral community C and E Christians, people who come for just for Christmas and Easter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, they tend to go off to college and uh, not get connected. Instead, they mm. they just don't go at all because they don't see it as something that's valuable, and they want they kind of see college more as a time for them to to um, you know. Uh, formulate their own life plan and do their own thing. So most of the time that doesn't include the yeah. church for them. Yeah. So, but there are strong campus ministries, even in amongst the Lutheran uh, church, especially at a lot of schools in the Midwest, there's some pretty good um, Lutheran. I was part of a Lutheran student fellowship growing up. I know that it's still going on mm-hmm. and healthy these days at a lot of universities. So, yeah. yeah. And um, I, um, I also wonder, I guess, more so. I haven't talked enough with my peers about their feeling about carrying on a legacy. How do Mm -hmm. they um, be there for these young'uns coming up? How do they initiate conversations or things? Um, I look forward to that. Uh, uh, with both my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren about how that will look. I I have visions of the kids coming home from grade school and coming over to Grandma's apartment and having cookies and milk while we talk about their day and Wonderful. their vision. And, you know, I just think, oh, what an opportunity God has given me. Um, even though there's there's some sacrifices like giving up wonderful medical care and <laughs> and all my friends at King of Kings mm. and my brother and giving up those really personal relationships that I've got here, I still think that this is where God wants me at 90. Yeah. And so I'm going to go and see what he's got in store. Yeah. But I think the more personal we can get with and I hear of some of my friends moving in with their children in their own houses. And, you know, that would sure lend itself um, to to them having more personal conversations with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about question six. Um, you sort of alluded to this a bit, but... Uh, I, th- I think sort of the way you put that, that you, you're making sacrifices so that you can reach your grandkids, your great grand well, yeah, your great-grandkids would be an example of this. But how would you encourage others of your generation to serve the church at large? Well, I think the one thing that we, the gift that we have at this time of our lives is time on our hands. Mm. And whether... Uh, you know, depending on how well we are, we can still make phone calls. Yeah. We um, we can pick up a name or two when when we have the opportunity to be prayer partners for any of the kids, whether they're preschool or, or, or you know, uh, elementary or senior or even college kids. Um, to take a name or two and just lift that kid in prayer or get to know their parents and and uh, find out, you know, from the kids um, 
what their special needs are, mm-hmm. you know, uh, maybe it's a particular test that yeah. they're worried about or um, a relationship, and we can just listen and then lift that in prayer for yeah. them. Um, so we need to think outside the box. We're not stuck in a nursing home. We're not uh, stuck in our room. We have ways to communicate with people, and it could be note writing, um, but involving generational mm-hmm. things. And, um, you know, when I prayed for these kids, uh, who's, you know, every year I would take a name, and I'd find out different things that that they were interested in, and then maybe send them a a little note encouraging them in that area. Um, But I think, you know, realizing that God has given us time Mm -hmm. at this point, and we can utilize that whatever way we wish. I think one thing you alluded to that I find to be very insightful is that you you brought up the idea of go to grandma's house and have milk and cookies, or you just talked about um, identifying with them on their level. Mm -hmm. To me, that's one of the hugest things in intergenerational relations is somebody has to be the first one to to cross the divide, you know, to Mm. reach out to somebody who, and express an interest in the things they're interested in. Yeah. Um, and so there, there are many ways to do that. I think one of the things I see, I, I, I sort of claim up a little bit. I'm a younger generation, and I don't feel like I ever have license to tell the older generation what to do. But also I'm a pastor, and it's my sort of role as a pastor to make sure that I shepherd my flock of all ages. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I see a mentality of in people of a slightly older generation is this mentality to – um, say, I've worked hard for a long time in my life and for the church and for my family. I'm going to retire and take it yeah. easy. And we retire and we take it easy from our jobs. We mm-hmm. we enjoy the, the fruits of our labors from a life of, of labor and working hard. And I think a lot of times there's a temptation for people to retire from the church and retire from service to God and to his people. Mm-hmm. And my encouragement is God never says we can do that. Mm-hmm. Abraham served God to ripe old ages. Moses served God to his last day, right? I feel like there are certain people in our church, and I I include you in this demographic, who take seriously the vocation of serving into their elder years, Mm -hmm. that they're not going to go into this sort of stage of acceptance that I've done what I can do and I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be a consumer of what the church can give me. They don't contribute something to the church. So I, I applaud you for your your continual drive to serve God's people in his church. And Let's I would want to encourage our listeners of the same g- mm-hmm. generation to do so as well. But that, I believe, is a, um, a gift of a personal relationship with God. Mm. He, you know, if, if you continue in his word and learn to know him better and and ask for his guidance, he's going to answer those prayers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're confrontational and sometimes they're challenging. Yeah. But, um, you know, when you've got him as Lord of your life, it makes all the difference in the world mm-hmm. because he's the one calling the shots. Yeah. 
That's true. So, Elaine, we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Before we do, I have one thing. I notice at the end of every email you send, you put a frog. And I know why, but I think it's fun. So will you share that with us <laughs> while you put a frog at the end of your emails? Well, years ago, after this loss, I became very depressed. Mm. And um, I was working, and I saw on the desk of one of my managers that I was managing um, a little sign that said you have to stick out your neck in order to get ahead and there was a turtle Mm. and I thought that's what I'm not doing I'm not sticking out my neck I have I'm so risk adverse here I'm going to collect um, turtles and um so I did, and they. Every time I saw a turtle, it reminded me that I needed to be a little risky mm. and um, do something different and venture out. Well, then the turtle kind of became passe. I was pretty good at risking, <laughs> but then I was still identifying that I was so fearful, and. Um, I forget exactly, there was this this woman at this convention, but she gave a frog out to everyone. And at the end of her speech, she shared with us what that frog was all about. And it was is an acronym for fully relying on God. Mm-hmm. And I thought, aha, that's how I can become less fearful. So mm-hmm. I started collecting frogs. Yep. So now I have a whole windowsill full of frogs. <laughs> and um, I, I really use it as a reminder to myself that, like, whatever I've said in the email, it's sort of like when we pray, when we say, in Jesus' name. Okay, God, this is the way I see it. You've got a better perspective on it. So whatever your will is, I'm going to rely on that. There you go. And so it's a reminder to myself that I fully rely on God mm-hmm. and let his will be done. Well, let's hope and endeavor we can all have that frog-like faith where we can mm. fully rely on God. I think that's a good place to stop today if you're comfortable. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and close in a prayer, and then we'll, we'll uh, head out for the day. So please join me. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your servant Elaine, and we thank you for uh, the the life that you have given her, the loved ones that she has been blessed with, and those who have been blessed just to know her. I thank you for her testimony today and for your faithfulness in her life. I pray that you would help us all to uh, heed the lessons of your word, heed the lessons of other generations, that we might uh, grow to know them better and we might interact with them in a more loving and collegial way. Uh, I pray simply, O Lord, that you would continue to guide our discussion in the weeks ahead and that you would help us all to come back with open heart, open ears, and an open mind uh, to hear what you have to say to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org.
Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.